You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another episode of the Locked On NFL Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Filling in today for Matt Williamson. He is on vacation and uh, doing that today is Travis Wingfield, host of Locked On Dolphins, and myself, your boy Q, host of Locked On Raiders Podcast. And uh, Travis, I'm pretty fired up, pretty excited about this opportunity to, to host a show for Matt, who's getting a vacation that's very much needed. How you doing today? I'm doing good, Q. Thanks for asking, man. It's a, it's a really cool opportunity we got to, to take over the the reins of the mothership, if you will, here. And we're about a week out from training camps kicking off and stuff, so I couldn't be more excited, man. Yeah, this is going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited about it. And, you know, just to kind of give everyone a rundown of how this even really happened is uh, Matt Williamson, who obviously hosts this show all the time on the regular, he's on vacation, a much-needed vacation, right before, like you mentioned, everything gets going. And so uh, we had the opportunity to go ahead and, and fill in for him. And it's funny because we didn't really come up with this tag team together. It was kind of – we were kind of morphed into each other, and, and that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's cool. We've we've talked with each other before, and so I know how you get down. You know how I get down. So, yeah, man, this should be a lot of fun. I had talked about it on the Lockdown Raiders podcast that we were going to be doing this, and so uh, I know that my listeners are pretty uh, fired up about it. I'm sure the Dolphin listeners are, are fired up as well. But in this show, we're going to just talk NFL in general, so uh, I'm pretty pumped up about that. Coming up in uh, segment number three today, just want to give you a rundown of, of how the show is going to go. We're going to talk about the new head coaches in the league. Want to talk about, I'm going to kind of pick Travis's brand on who he thinks is going to be successful, who is not going to be successful, and who's going to take a little bit of time to be successful. So that's coming up in segment number three. In segment number two, Travis, you came up with a really good topic about running backs in the league today and how they're kind of devalued and, and a lot of teams don't want to give them the money and don't want to give them the money right away. And, oh, you can get a running back in the fourth round. Don't draft one in the first round. All that good stuff. That's a great topic. That's going to come up in segment number two. But uh, obviously – the biggest news going on in the NFL right now, as far as I'm concerned, we're going to talk about here in segment number one, and that is the inconsistency of the NFL. As much as we love the NFL, the inconsistency to drop down suspensions, to drop down punishments, if it's smoking weed, if it's domestic violence, if it's a DUI, there's just no consistencies. And obviously this is coming from Tyreek Hill of the Chiefs getting no suspension, absolutely no suspension for whatever horrific incident happened at his home that resulted in uh, his son getting a broken arm. I, I'm sure his his fiance, girlfriend, ex-girlfriend, baby mama, whatever you want to call her, she has plenty of skeletons in her own closet. Tyreek Hill, we already know, has a has a background on uh, with his own skeletons. Just crazy. And, and when the news dropped on, on Friday about no suspension for Tyreek Hill, it just it, it blew my mind. I could not I, – I don't even know how to really put my finger around it or, and wrap my brain around how there was no suspension. What were your thoughts when you saw nothing for uh, Tyreek Hill? So the first thing that comes to my mind here is how difficult of a topic it is – or this thing is for us to discuss because I don't know how you do things, Q, but I try to separate everything that's off outside of the white lines of the football field. I take it out of my show completely because I just want to talk about football – and that's one of the things that really irritates me with this is this stuff bleeds into football because of those inconsistencies that you mentioned with the NFL's policy. You have a guy like Josh Gordon, for instance, who, yeah, there is a precedent about you're not supposed to smoke marijuana in the NFL. And if you do it, you're going to get in trouble. You know the rules and you have to toe the line of those rules. And he still crossed that line and got himself in trouble. But you mentioned the severity of the impact of these things that these guys do or these these situations where players cross that line and we have to maybe not look at it as a case by case scenario and take into consideration the previous 
consequences or suspensions that you've handed down for guys like for guys like Josh Gordon or from a Dolphins mm-hmm. fan like Deion Jordan back in the day, the Dolphins' right. first round draft pick yep. in 2013. These guys are they've got pill problems or drug problems or DUIs like you mentioned, and they're getting three or four games. And then there's Tyreek Hill, who has a history of domestic abuse, and it's a horrible, horrible thing that is far too prevalent in the National Football League. There's the history of him, you know, hitting this current girlfriend that he has in the past. And then you bring this into the situation, and whether or not there was evidence to prove that he did make contact with this child or harm his child in any way, those text messages, man, I can't get over those text messages about how you need to be fearing of me. That's how I run my household cue. That's not a man. That's not how a man runs his household. And, yeah, he's super talented. He's one of the best receivers in the National Football League, and the NFL has to protect its product in that way. But at the same time, you go back to, like, Deflategate, for instance. Right. And I'm a Dolphins fan, so I am all for Tom Brady never playing football again. But at the same time, like, what are we doing here, man? Like, what's really more important, taking air out of footballs or a guy that just isn't maybe the best human being who doesn't deserve the privilege to play in the foot, in the National Football League, in my opinion. Yeah, exactly, and that's my thing. I mean, you're talking about deflate gate. I mean, Tom Brady got four four games for deflating balls that we don't even really know if they really happened. We just don't know. I mean, we right. don't have any idea. Uh, you're talking about a guy like Jimmy Smith from the Ravens last year that got three or four games for threatening threatening, just saying some threatening things to his then-girlfriend, and he got suspended. Tyreek Hill, we know, said at least some threatening stuff because you just mentioned exactly what he said. You need to be scared of me. I mean, he literally said, you need to be scared of me, and we all read it, and we all heard it. That's not, I mean, no, no matter how the, 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 the tape and the recordings was uh, obtained, I think that was shady as well. But still, however it was obtained, it was still obtained. And you can hear him say, you need to be scared of me. He needs to be scared of me. Those are threatening words right there. And so when the NFL says that there's, there's no evidence and we couldn't get enough evidence, the NFL could get anything that they want. They could find, <laughs> find out what you did yesterday and they could find out what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Like, they really, really can. And so I just... I don't, I, again, I don't like to sit here and, and put all the punishments into one lump sum, you know, and just say, oh, well, this is what it should always be for every case, no matter what. Or I, I don't want to do that. And I also don't like to really bring up the off the field stuff into the podcast because I'd like to talk about stuff the fans want to hear, which is, you know, football activities and stuff. But when you have these kind of inconsistencies, you know, you got a guy like Zeke Elliott up in Dallas who gets six games. And nobody to this day still knows exactly what he got them for. You know, what I mean, there's this, there was uh, alleged <laughs> things going on, but nobody really knows. You know, and so I just would like to see, and I think it would make the product better if there was some consistency. Okay, if you're involved in some domestic, uh, you know, uh, incident, you're going to be suspended. It could be a case by case scenario, depending on how it all shook out or how much evidence is there. But something has got to happen. And when a young man, a, a boy, gets his arm broken. That's on a whole nother extreme level. I don't know what Tyreek Hill did. I don't know what his girl did, but I know something and someone in that house did something to harm that young child to the point where the child is not even in their home anymore. Not even in their home anymore. Now it's it's basically being protected by the the state and something's got to give and they get nothing. He gets nothing. No suspension is ridiculous. Yeah, something has to be up there, right? You wouldn't just have that removal without there being an actual incident or concern for the safety and health of that child. And that's the number one thing we're looking at here. We go back to Adrian Peterson. I think that's probably the most comparable event we've dealt with in terms of dealing with a child abuse case like this. And Adrian Peterson got a suspension for what he did. And I'm not privy to the details of that suspension either. But it's like you mentioned, like we talked about, 
they have the available information they need to make a judgment call on what exactly happened in that moment, how that kid did break his arm. And if Tyreek Hill has those threatening messages, like you mentioned, like Jimmy Smith of the Ravens, then how are we not going to impart the same punishment on him at the very least, at the very minimum? I, I don't understand where they come down on this idea. I It's just, it's very confusing to me, Q. No, it really is. And again, I don't I don't want to harp on it and ride it too long. But at the same time, I mean, it's just, you know, you're, you're on the eve of training camp for everybody. You're just kind of getting excited, getting fired up because you know football is right around the corner. Going to be talking about some preseason games pretty soon. Then we're going to be talking about some regular season games. It's going to be full throttle. And then all of a sudden, this kind of, this ugly or big elephant in the room is right in front of your face. And it's just, it just doesn't feel right to me. And, and I, I just... I feel like there's some major injustice going on. And if the NFL, in my opinion, which I know that it's alive and well, they're making money, they're printing money in the back room. I totally get that. There's no shortage. I mean, there's no shortage of eyeballs, all that. But if they want this product to be a, a, a whole lot better, and, and I don't mean the product on the field. I just just I think that everyone kind of looks at the the suspensions, the punishments, the whatever they do, and they kind of look at it and say, if this was just a little bit more consistent or we, the fans, could actually understand it, understand where you're coming up with these, these rulings and these suspensions from, that would make everything a lot better. It seems like they're just doing it blindly at this point because, like you mentioned, there is that lack of consistency and the inability to point to a previous offense and say, okay, that adds up to this and this new offense adds up to this suspension. But like you said, there's just no level of consistency. So what are we supposed to talk about? Because it's just all blurred lines. It almost feels like they're just kind of pinning the tail on the donkey, so to speak, and just randomly selecting these suspensions and length of these suspensions. And, and that probably is what it is. I mean, that's exactly what it feels like. I think you uh, you hit it right on the head with that. The old school game that we used to play at birthday parties is what they're doing up there in uh, <laughs> in, in New York. Roger Goodell and, and company, are, they're making it happen. So uh, we just wanted to touch on that to start things off. Coming up in segment number two, going to talk about the running backs around the league, talking about the fact that they are devalued, talking about don't grab one in the first round don't pay them right away because well they're going to break down that position doesn't last long we're going to talk all things running back next right here on the locked on nfl podcast rolling into segment number two here on the locked on nfl podcast part of the locked on podcast network you've got travis wingfield with you here the host of the locked on dolphins podcast and your boy q host of the locked on raiders podcast and we're filling in for matt williamson this week he must be taking a break the last week before the season kicks off because I don't know about you, Q. It's the best time of year, but it also means we've got a lot on our plates coming on the pipeline from now basically until the end of January as we get through the playoffs and the Super Bowl and coaching changes, all that fun stuff. The best time of year is officially here on the Locked On NFL podcast, and we're going to talk about the disparity in running back contracts and the value of running backs in today's NFL as the NFL adapts to this more spread attack that it has, it's become that in recent years, but even more so in 2019, running backs seem to be getting the short end of the stick. We know about Melvin Gordon holding out with the Chargers. Mm -hmm. We know about Ezekiel Elliott's contract situation with the Cowboys. Q, where do you come in on the value of running backs in today's NFL? Do they still have a place? Do they deserve the big-time money like Todd Gurley got? Or should they just be secondary factors that get drafted later on? 
second round, third round, fourth round. Where's your opinion on these NFL running backs and their contract situations? You know, I hate that the running backs are are devalued. I really do because I feel like running backs, especially when you have a really good one on your team, I mean, they are they they are not something to shake a stick at. I mean, running backs make things go. I mean, you talked about Ezekiel Elliott and his situation up in Dallas. I'll tell you right now, if number 21 is not in that backfield, the Cowboys don't look like they look. I mean, it's simple as that. Absolutely. I mean, you know what I mean? I mean, the running back position, I hate that they just are so disrespected almost. I mean, people are we're, we're, we're talking bad that the Raiders went and drafted Josh Jacobs in the first round, and I was beating the, 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 the table for him. Like, man, go go get this guy. I believe he could be a dynamic dude. I was very excited when I saw the Raiders go and grab him number 24 overall just because I think that he can make a lot of things happen. And, look, I know there's success stories from running backs that come out of the fourth round, running backs that you, you got as undrafted free agents. I, I totally get that. But there's also success stories for guys that were drafted early in the draft as well. You mentioned Todd Gurley. You mentioned Melvin Gordon. You mentioned uh, Zeke Elliott. I mean, those are just some to come to mind right now. All those guys are basically the, the, the straw that stirs the drink for their respective teams, you know? And so I hate the fact that they look at that position and they try to stall them out. And what I mean by that is teams get these guys, they, they run them into the ground, they try to run them into the ground, give them a whole bunch of carries, catching the ball in the backfield, they're in pass protection all the time. And then when it comes time to give them their contract, okay, well, we'll just franchise you. Okay, we'll just franchise you a second time. Okay, now we'll just let you go because, well, now you have so much wear and tear on your tires. You know what I mean? I just I don't think that it's the, the right business way to go ahead and handle your business when it comes to a guy that's so valuable to your team and again I know you could find a guy in the fourth round that could be a successful stud that turned into a hall of famer I get it. you can get a Philip Lindsay that was an undrafted free agent in Denver yeah he's really good I get that but it's just the the position should not be devalued and I mean if you have a really good running back most of the time you have a pretty good passing game as well I mean they just kind of go hand in hand oh uh, you see what's going on with Alvin Kamara in uh, in New Orleans uh, when they had that that one-two punch of him and Mark Ingram before Ingram went to the Ravens I mean they're just when you have a dynamic running back you have a, a, a dynamic opportunity to have a really good offense and, and, and again sometimes you just need that running back to carry the rock 20 25 times a game because your, your quarterback's not getting it done so man I I hate that they are devalued I think these guys should get paid I think the Cowboys should not worry about Dak first not worry about Amari Cooper first they need to worry about Ezekiel Elliott get that dude taken care of because he is the straw that stirs the drink and if he's not there that offense ain't going so a good podcast always involves disagreements right and I, I want to kind of give you a a rebuttal to that argument, although I do strongly agree with most of the points you make there, Q. <laughs> the first one you mentioned that really stuck out to me was Bucky Brooks of the Move the Sticks podcast. He used to be a scout in Carolina, and they had Stephen Davis, and they, just, and they drafted Deshaun Foster, and he said himself, we're going to use this guy up for four years and spit him out on the other side. He's not getting a new contract. We'll draft somebody the next year and get four years out of him. So right. it's very dirty when you consider the business side of things, the way they do these running backs who really, like you mentioned, are horses and guys that depend or the offense depends on their production. Now, you also mentioned some high draft picks that have had success. Two more guys that are really probably two of the premier players in the league at the position in terms of running the ball and being pass receivers, Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey, yep. those guys were both top 10 picks in their own right. And those guys are setting the pace for running backs nowadays because they might go for 1,000 rushing and 1,000 receiving. So how do you pay those guys? The other point on the other side of the game is that I do think that running backs hold a strong, strong value in terms of converting short yardage because when it comes to third and two or second and goal from the three-yard line, you've got to run that football to score points. That's how you score points mm -hmm. and put points up on the board down in the red zone. So I think that those guys hold ultimate value there. 
But on the other side of the coin, if you're a Warren Sharp fan, uh, Sharp Analytics, I believe is his website, he makes a mention that over the last 10 or 12 years, the average running back salary on the roster for a Super Bowl team is $2.5 million. So the argument that you can find these guys later on, because I'm looking at the list of salary or highest compensated running backs in the National Football League, and you scroll down this list, you mentioned Alvin Kamara. He's buried on this list. Yeah. You talk about Derrick Henry. He's way down there. Joe Mixon's way down there. The Bears feel great about David Montgomery. He's down there. The Eagles love Miles Sanders. And I scroll up the list, and I'm looking at guys that have gotten contracts, second contracts with their respective teams. Duke Johnson's like the 10th highest paid running back in the NFL. Giovanni Bernard's right there. You've got James White up there, Theo Riddick, Latavius Murray. So if you do want to sign a running back to a second contract, it's going to cost you, and that means you probably have to take some money from a different position in terms of your budget and take the money from that positional budget and put it to your running back. But where's your value at? Because these guys, like you said, they move the chains. They score points. They're impactful in the passing game. They protect your quarterback in the backfield. I'm all for paying these running backs because a lot of these guys are the function of the offense the lifeblood of the offense, like you mentioned, Q. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it, you know, it's great points brought up, and, and, you know, you could argue both sides of it, like you mentioned, but, I mean, you look at a guy like Le'Veon Bell, like, I hated that situation for for Lev Bell, even though I don't think that he went about everything the, the 100% the right way either, but Pittsburgh was just running him, running him, running him, running him into the ground, uh, both from the backfield and also catching the ball. I mean, like you mentioned before, he's a dual-threat guy. He's one of those uh, McCaffrey-type dudes, one of those Saquon Barkley-type dudes, but he's proven, and for them just to, just to kind of say, well, we're not going to take care of him we're just going to continue to franchise him franchise him that doesn't give those guys any security and and that position you do get banged up and they do deserve to have that security I mean look at Todd Gurley I uh, I love what he brings to the Rams unfortunately for himself he wasn't able to bring it in the Super Bowl in the biggest game ever because well he was banged up he was able to secure the bag though he got the contract you know he got the contract but he just wasn't able to live up to it afterwards so I mean I guess that that argument could play against my own self right there but at the same time, man, I just feel like you just you got to take care of these guys. You got to respect that position because some of the best teams have some great running backs that you just love to watch. And again, there are running backs that you're going to get later in the draft. Some of those guys that you mentioned, like Miles Sanders. I mean, he wasn't a first round draft pick. David Montgomery wasn't a first round draft pick. You know, they, they, he just wasn't. They're, they're probably going to be good in the league, but. At the same time, man, I just think if you have a dynamic dude, you can go get him in the first round. You can feel comfortable about it. I felt very comfortable about Josh Jacobs. I think he's going to be very dynamic in John Gruden's offense this year. And uh, matter of fact, I've already put out that I feel like he's going to be offensive rookie of the year. That's just one of my early predictions. And I could be wrong. I'm fine with that. But that's just how I feel because I think he could be that good. That dude goes. He's, he's a good-looking player. And to, just to kind of solidify the point here, Jalen Richard, your other running back out there in Oakland, makes more money this year than Josh Jacobs. So getting that guy late in the first round, that's tremendous value in that spot, especially mm-hmm. when you had three first-round draft picks this season. And one thing that I'm concerned about here, Key, with the position, and you mentioned this off the top of your first uh, discussion there with the running back position, is we devalue these guys to the point to maybe they don't exist anymore. And I worry about what we've had with the college game and how offensive linemen are different these days because they're playing in these spread out attacks and they don't finish blocks all the time. And they're more worried about tempo and getting back to the line of scrimmage than they are finishing their block. And we've seen the offensive line play in the NFL kind of taper off. And it's probably at an all time low right now. 
well, what's going to motivate these kids to stay at running back in college and in high school when they know that if they get to the next level, they're going to be chewed up and spit out by their respective franchise. So I hope that we can get these guys paid, get them the level of compensation they deserve, because these guys, like we mentioned, can really drive an offense, whether it's the superstar like Saquon Barkley and Christian McCaffrey or hopefully a Josh Jacobs in Oakland, or if it's the guys like the Patriots backfield with James White and Rex Burkhead and Sony Michelle and James Devlin and all these guys they spread the ball out around to, but they still are the focal point of that offense. I just think that we have an interesting dichotomy on our hands, and I hope they get these guys taken care of. And, you know, everyone always wants to be very Patriot-like and, oh, well, do what the Patriots do. They went and got a running yeah. back in the first round. They went and grabbed Sony Michelle, and I thought that was a big-time pickup. And, well, he, he played some major dividends in the Super Bowl and down the, in the playoffs down the stretch. Uh, he's a big-time player. Now, he has – he has health history, you know, he has injury history as well. But at the same time, the dude can go. And he's, I think he's going to be very dynamic for the Patriots for years to come. So, uh, yeah, Sonny Michelle is one guy that I definitely watch out for because New England got, got him, and they got him at the end of the first round as well. If the Patriots are doing it, you should probably do it too. That should be a motto across yep. the National Football League. When Q and I come back on the other side of the podcast here, we're going to talk about the coaching changes across the NFL. We have eight new head coaches, one-fourth of the National Football League will have a new coach on the sideline this season. We'll rank them top to bottom, talk about who's going to be successful, who's going to fail next here on the Lockdown NFL Podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. Welcome into segment number three of the Locked On NFL Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It is time for myself and Travis to talk about the new head coaches in the league. There is eight new coaches this year. There's usually six to eight each and every year. So we're going to try to go through these kind of quick so it's not too long. But again, eight new coaches in the league this year. We're going to talk about who's going to be good, who's going to be all right, who's uh, set up to succeed, and who might just stink, you know, who might just be all bad. So let's go ahead and start things off with a, a team that you know very well and a guy that you should know very well Dolphins they have a new head coach and Brian Flores he comes over from the Patriots what are your thoughts on Brian yeah I was telling Q in the uh, off-air segment here that I have to try to check my biases at the door because there's actually three guys on this list connected to the Miami Dolphins and I talk about this on the Locked On Dolphins podcast all the time the thing I like the most about Brian Flores is number one he's just a leader it's all about leadership with him yeah he is a defensive coach yeah he called the plays in that Super Bowl that put the Rams down to three points in the entire game. He held Patrick Mahomes in check in the first half of the AFC Championship game, although you could argue that that's probably mostly a Bill Belichick influence. But Brian Flores is a leader of men. He doesn't really have a specific side of the ball he's going to focus on. He'll be the guy in charge of the entire team, and he'll get things going in that direction. There was actually a great photo just posted to Twitter with Kendrick Norton, the Dolphins defensive tackle, Man. who lost his arm in an automobile accident, and Brian Flores was there visiting Kendrick Norton. So he's definitely got the people side of things down. But I also love the staff that he assembled. He went out and got experience and championship pedigree. Every single position coach in this building has Super Bowl experience from Jim Caldwell to the entire Patriot staff he brought with him, Chad O'Shea, Jerry Shaplinski, the quarterback's coach. He brought over Josh Boyer, the cornerback's coach. So there is experience, there is championship pedigree, and there are some names on the, on the coaching staff that he brought with him. It's going to be a learning period for him, an adjustment period. He's going to have to institute this new defense that he wants to run because Miami's personnel is not suited for the defense that he wants to run. So it could be an interesting kind of evaluation type of year. But I do have faith that Brian Flores has – what it takes to be a successful head coach, and he has the backing of ownership for the first time, because, or not for the first time, but 
this is the first time they really seem committed to a complete rebuild, a teardown, and start over from scratch. So I'm excited in that sense. As far as his successful opportunity, I mean, most of these guys fail. That's how it goes. I mean, as a Dolphins fan, right. I've seen it happen time and time again, three or four years, on to the next guy. But I think that Flores will surpass all those guys and be the first coach that the Dolphins have had to last five years since Dave Wanstead in the early 2000s. You know, I, I like him. I, I really do. And, you know, every guy that leaves the Patriots organization and, and becomes a head coach is not always successful. Most times, matter of fact, they fail more times than they're successful. But for some reason, I do believe that Flores is going to be the guy. And you gave every reason why he could be the guy. I just really like him. And, and being at the Super Bowl, getting to, getting to talk to some of those defensive players and talk about the leadership that Flores brings is something that you were very heavy on as well, the leadership. I believe in that. I believe that that leadership is very important and something that the Dolphins have been lacking for quite a while. So I believe in him. I don't know how 2019 is going to shake out. You know, I mean, you said it's going to take a while to to build this thing. But as long as he's given the time, I think the Dolphin fans will be excited because Brian Flores, I believe, is going to be a pretty good head coach. Now, how about this guy in Denver, Vic Fangio? He's been in the league forever. He's been a defensive coordinator forever, a defensive assistant forever. First time head coach, Vic Fangio. They've already started training camp. What are your thoughts on Vic Fangio? Do you think he can be successful in that AFC West? I do. I like Vic Fangio because I think he has that old school mentality and that can be kind of lost in today's NFL, that old school style of coach. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Q, I saw a tweet the other day that he was not allowing music at practice. And that just kind of rubs me the wrong way because this is a younger generation that that's, that's what the expectation is. You watch any NFL practice during stretches, during warmups, during individual, they're going to have music bumping. They're going to be having a good time. They're going to be having fun on the field. And if you take away that element and you take away the ability to connect with the younger players, then you might lose your message in the long haul. But all things told, this guy is a defensive genius. He directed that Bears defense brilliantly last year. I think Vic Fangio has a great chance to have success, especially since he inherits a roster that's pretty good for the most part especially on his specialty side of the defense there. Yeah, I like Vic Fangio a lot. I've been a big fan of him no matter where he goes, and he's never been a member of the staff on my favorite team, obviously the Raiders, but I've just watched him from afar and just always have admired what he's been able to do defensively. I love defensive-minded guys. Another reason why I like Brian Flores in Miami because he is a defensive-minded dude, but Vic Fangio is that guy. I was always wondering why he never got that opportunity to be the head coach. Now he's getting it in Denver. He has a lot of, uh, of toys on that defensive side of the ball. Very very similar to what he had in Chicago. I mean, Khalil Mack in, in Chicago is a stud. Well, Von Miller in Denver is a stud. You know what I mean? You know, so he's got a lot of opportunities to fix that defense, which really doesn't need a whole lot of fixing, just needs some refining. So I think Vic Fangio is going to do really good things defensively for Denver. Now they have situations on offense that you really don't know what's going to happen with Joe Flacco, but who better to be successful with a really good defense than Joe Flacco? He's done it before, right? He did it in, uh, in Baltimore and came up with a Super Bowl victory. So I think Vic Fangio is going to be very successful. I think he's going to take a little bit of time to just get this thing going. I'm not too sure how 2019 is going to go. Now, as long as the upper management, as long as the front office in Denver gives him that opportunity to, to put his fingerprint on that team and really make it his own and really own that and doesn't, don't have any outside guys kind of meddling in and, and getting in people's ears, I think Vic Fangio will be very, very successful in Denver. But again, he's got to be given that opportunity. But yeah, as far as I'm concerned right now, he gets a thumbs up from me. Now, the Cardinals, this one, this one is a very, very interesting one. Cliff Kingsbury, he gets fired at Texas Tech takes an offensive coordinator job at USC, has a sip of coffee in, uh, in L.A., and then heads to Arizona as the head coach. I don't know how that works. If I ever get fired at ESPN Central Texas and all of a sudden I end up at like ESPN 
Las Vegas because I got fired. That's great. You know what I mean? Like that's you get fired up. I don't know how you fire. You get Family fired upwards. Yeah. Right. This is a real head scratcher for me. Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. He's bringing in a new uh, style of, of offense, new tempo, has a brand new quarterback. I don't know. What do you think about Cliff Kingsbury? So the concerns that you point out are all valid and probably the the foremost situation with Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona, but there's one saving grace that he has that I will harp on till the end of the day, till the end of the earth even, because my listeners know this on Locked On Dolphins. I love Kyler Murray, and if you're going to bring Kyler Murray into the NFL and you're going to put him into the exact same offense for the most part, right. there'll be some different terminology, some different concepts, but it's pretty similar offense to what he saw in college at Oklahoma I just think that guy is a supremely talented playmaker that is going to revolutionize the way the game is played in terms of this Patrick Mahomes style of quarterback that can throw it from all platforms, that is always going to be able to get out of danger. He can play within the structure of the offense. So I just trust Kyler Murray and Cliff Kingsbury to have a great relationship. Now the rest of the roster, the offensive line, that defense, is that going to hold up? I don't know. But I think that if you have the quarterback and the coach, you have a great start to get yourself going forward in the future. Well, you know, the NFL is about winning games. It ultimately is about winning games. I think that Kyler Murray, he's a guy that I've, I've questioned, I've doubted so many times. But every time I've doubted him, I've been proven wrong. I mean, the guy is just an absolute winner. No matter what he plays, no matter where he plays it at, he is an absolute winner. So, yes, in that factor, Arizona is going to be successful with Kyler Murray because he doesn't know how to not be successful. My question yeah. with Cliff Kingsbury and the offense that he's bringing in and the tempo that he's going to try to run, are they able to maintain, are they able to sustain it in the fourth quarter when it matters, when crunch time comes? I don't know if the tempo that they're going to attempt to run in the NFL is going to be successful just because of those factors. you got a 53-man roster. You just I, I don't know if everyone's going to be able to maintain. I think the fourth quarter is going to come, and guys are going to be having their hands on their hips. Their tongues are going to be hanging out their helmets. I think it's going to be a struggle down the stretch, only because I don't think that they're built to do what he wants them to do. So I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be very successful in the league. I see him maybe two years, and he's done in Arizona. That's just... That's just my gut feeling, but it's not because of Kyler. And, it's just because of the wins and losses. And to extrapolate that point, Q, you talk about the fourth quarter. What about December? I mean, we're talking about a yeah. team that could come out hot and win three out of four games and get everybody excited. But we saw the exact same thing happen with Chip Kelly. That offense came out and took the league by storm. And then once everybody catches up, things start to get a little bit more challenging. You have to adjust. Can he do that? He couldn't do it at Texas Tech. What makes us think he can do it in the National Football League? Exactly right. Another guy that wants to run with some up-tempo in the NFL, Matt LaFleur. He's up in Green Bay with a Hall of Fame-to-be quarterback, and Aaron Rodgers doesn't really want him to audible at the line of scrimmage. I think that that's kind of interesting. But Matt LaFleur, uh, what do you think he does? Do you think him and Aaron Rodgers will be, get, be able to get along together? Because ultimately, that's what it's all about. Yeah, so this one's tricky. For one, of the men or one of the reasons you mentioned was that he doesn't want Aaron Rodgers to audible at the line of scrimmage. Well, that's like the fourth and final point for a quarterback to become elite. A guy that can come to the line of scrimmage, knows what the defense wants to do, knows what his route concepts are designed to do to attack that defense and how to manipulate the defense into thinking one thing and then we're going to do something else. That's like stage four of the four stages of great quarterback play. And if you want to take that away from Aaron Rodgers, then you're already behind the eight balls as far as I'm concerned. Plus, I do have a bit of a hang-up over this whole Sean McVay uh, you know, the aurora of Sean McVay yes. and being around these guys that get elevated because of their their proximity to Sean McVay. So is Matt LaFleur one of those guys? Because he wasn't really revolutionary in the Tennessee offense with Marcus Mariota. Is he going to do it in Green Bay with Rodgers? I guess we'll see. If you're down seven in the fourth quarter and there's one drive left, is Aaron Rodgers going to see a play and see that, you know what, I need to check out of this and not audible because, well, the coach doesn't want me to, or is he going to go back and try to win games? Aaron Rodgers is going to try to win games. 
There's just no doubt about yeah, that. <laughs> there is no question about that. And you go back to that, that Bleacher Report article where they basically raked Aaron Rodgers and Mike McCarthy and the entire Packer operation over the coals. Mm-hmm. If any of that has a modicum of truth to it, how is this going to work out with a young head coach who doesn't want Aaron Rodgers to have his full capacity? So it's a concern. But at the same time, if it all works out and the marriage comes together quickly, right. it could be beautiful things there for the Packers. Now to Cincinnati, Zach Taylor. This is a guy, and this is a team. First of all, I don't have a high expectation for the team anyway, but Zach Taylor, I really, I don't know a whole lot about him. I know people I've talked to in the league don't know a whole lot about him either. He just kind of came out of nowhere. And again, going back to the disciples of Sean McVay, I don't. I think that you know that that train has got too much steam early. But it, it is what it is. What are your thoughts on Zach Taylor in Cincinnati? I can tell you exactly where Zach Taylor came from. So he was the quarterback <laughs> at Nebraska in college, and he is actually the son-in-law of Mike Sherman, former Dolphins offensive coordinator okay. in 2012 and 2013. And when Mike Sherman came to Miami, he gave Zach Taylor the quarterback's room, a quarterback coach with no experience in the National Football League, no experience coaching the position. He gets an NFL QB room and has to direct a eighth overall draft pick in Ryan Tannehill. And when you watch the Hard Knocks episodes that year – that quarterback room was ran by David Garrard and Matt Moore. He was a fly on the wall. And so I don't want to harp too much on the fact that he was basically put in Miami based on nepotism, and he didn't really do a whole lot when he was there. Now, of course, he has had some time to learn and develop and grow through the ranks. But again, we come back to that proximity to Sean McVay. Is he just there because he was on the staff with McVay last year? I tend to think yes. And also the Bengals. Let's be honest about the Bengals. Nobody really wants to go there. Which option was he for them? Their fifth or sixth option? Right. Yeah. I just everything the Bengals do, I I just I kind of think of it like uh, I don't know about this Q. I, I don't either. I don't either. I don't really have very high expectations. I believe that the division that the Bengals are in, uh, you know, I think that that's going to be really interesting. I just don't think that they're going to be part of that. You know what I mean? I just don't think that they're going to be part yeah. of the, the competitive nature of that division. So I think this has fail written all over it. Uh, I hate to do that to Cliff Kingsbury and Zach Taylor, but yeah, I, I gave fail to both of those cats. And I think that between the two, I think Zach Taylor will probably end up getting fired before uh, Cliff Kingsbury does. But I mean, that's, that's just me. And, and, and Hey, it's Cincinnati. They held on to Marvin Lewis forever. So maybe Zach Taylor sticks around uh, for, for quite a while. You just, you just don't know. You don't know, but uh, it, it should be interesting to see what they do in Cincinnati. Sticking with that division, how about the Browns? They have a lot of uh, expectations. Freddie Kitchens, he is a new head coach, even though he was on the staff in 2018, took over once Hugh Jackson was fired. Uh, he, he probably is the guy that's going to be the most successful out of all the ones we're talking about right now. But what are your thoughts on Freddie Kitchens as he takes over as the, the head man in charge in Cleveland? I mentioned Vic Fangio's roster giving him a bit of a boost going forward with that defensive skill set that he has to operate his defensive scheme. And I kind of feel similar about Freddie Kitchens because that Browns roster – which is funny to say after the last several years, is totally loaded. And I think it was last offseason I wrote an offseason preview for each team, and I said that the Browns are going to start slow, they're going to fire Hugh Jackson, and then they'll put Baker Mayfield in and they'll take off, and that's exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And I did not expect Freddie Kitchens to be the one to kind of take on that operation. But again, going back to hard knocks, when there was that uncomfortable scene between Todd Haley and Hugh Jackson – Freddie Kitchens was the guy that started that conversation about changing the mentality and changing the culture and getting guys to practice and play through those minor nicks and bruises and those ailments that kept them out of practice because 
we're not good enough to perform at this level right now, so we have to practice. And I like that message from Freddie Kitchens. I think he's kind of an everyman. I think he'll let the talent on the roster take over and not put himself too much in the forefront. Now a head coach, and there's only a couple more left. Here's a head coach that I'm a big fan of. And Tampa Bay, they've struggled. They've struggled as of late with their head coaches, but they got Bruce Arians in there. This guy, as far as I'm concerned, everywhere he goes, his quarterback is successful. Now his teams aren't always the best team, but his quarterback always finds a way to be successful no matter no matter where he is coaching at. Tampa Bay needs Jameis Winston to be a, a, a very successful guy, quick, fast, and in a hurry. Bruce Arians, I get double thumbs up from me for him, but what are you thinking about Bruce? See, that's a great point that the mention about Jameis Winston because you mentioned Ben Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh, Andrew Luck in Indianapolis, Carson Palmer in Arizona. He has just always had good quarterback play. But the thing that I worry about here, Q, is that he stepped away from football because he was tired and he kind of lost that love and that bravado for the game. Did it just come back all of a sudden? And there was another mention that he made in the offseason where I think it was something to the effect of, if you can't get this job done in 10 hours, then you shouldn't be here anyway. And I just don't know about right. that because I the agree. rest of the league tells me you got to work these 18, 20-hour days. Why does Bruce Arians all of a sudden have it figured out in 10 hours? I'm just I'm worried about the effort and the commitment level, but the past and the resume is so impressive, like you mentioned. So it could work out in that way, but I just worry that maybe the game has passed him by a little bit. Final coach that we're going to talk about is a guy that I know that you know very well as well. He's up in New York. I don't think he was the right guy for the job. I thought Matt Rule, the head coach of Baylor right now, should have got that job. But either way, that's neither here or there. Adam Gase, what are your thoughts on Adam Gase as the head man in New York? Now, my mom raised me to not say anything if you don't have anything nice to say at all, but <laughs> We're on a podcast here, so I got to do it. I'm, I just I don't see the allure of Adam Gaze. He came to Miami, and his first year, he he did a lot of good things for the Dolphins team, but he consistently tried to force a round peg or a square peg into a round hole with putting his offensive scheme in place in Miami when Ryan Tannehill was just not a fit for that. And you can say, okay, well that's Ryan Tannehill's fault, but he went back to the well three times in a row, making Ryan Tannehill his starting quarterback of course, injuries aside, but he forced that square peg into that round hole, and I feel like he's doing the exact same thing with the Jets. You have the same offensive coordinator, Dow Loggins, who I don't know what his qualifications are. The fact that he knows Adam Gaze, I suppose. He surrounds himself with the same staff. He builds up his skill positions. He kind of ignores the offensive line, and then you've got Greg Williams over there, who is one of the biggest a-holes in the NFL, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned, and a guy that's going to butt heads with everybody he faces. Adam Gaze is a very stubborn, grudge-holding type of guy, and that is not going to mesh well at all with Greg Williams. I think that he will be good for Sam Darnold, but all things told, if Adam Gaze lasts more than two years with the Jets, I'll be shocked, Q. You know, it's funny because I could have said the exact same thing that you just said because I am not a fan of what he does. I just – I am not I, – I, like I said at the very beginning, I thought he was the wrong man for the job. I thought New York – uh, did them a disservice when they they decided that they were going to go towards Matt Rule and hire him, but they wanted to hire his assistants for him. Like you, look if you want him to to cook dinner, you're going to have to let him buy his own groceries. You know what I mean? And so that was <laughs> that was already a, a problem for me. You know, when I, I saw New York do that, and then all of a sudden they kind of settled for Adam, I was like, ah, yeah, that's not going to work out in my opinion. So I think that that's going to be uh, like you said, two years or less or whatever. It's just it's not going to be a good situation. Maybe Sam Darnold takes a step forward. They do have Le'Veon Bell. I kind of think that the Jets first. First of all, are somewhat of a dumpster fire as well. But 
I, I don't think that uh, the hiring of Adam Gase helps at all. So, yeah, I think that's going to be a double thumb down for me. So those are the head coaches. The new head coach is going to be in the league. As far as I'm concerned, I think, Travis, me and you both hit on Brian Flores looks to be pr- pretty successful, I think. Vic Fangio with Denver looks like he'll be pretty successful. And Freddie Kitchens with the Browns. And then the rest of them are kind of up in the air. <laughs> and that's about the average of the league every year. Three out of eight is about how many guys succeed. So we did good, I think, man. Yeah, no, I, I think that's about right, you know. And, and if, for me, as a, as a Raider guy and the host of Locked On Raiders, it's great to see my team not on this list for a brand new head coach. I'm serious. I mean, it, it doesn't happen very often. You know, now it, look, know. it looks like Gruden's going to be around for a long time. I'm okay with that. I'm a Gruden guy. He's got to get it done. But it's just nice not to have a new head coach after one year. So I'm good with that as well. No, it absolutely is. And I know coaching changed all too well in Miami as well. It's certainly nice to have stability. But at the same time, after the stability wears out, you want a, a, ref, a refresh start and a new start with Brian Flores. So here's to both of our teams having successful years. Maybe not this year for the Dolphins, but down the line. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's a building process for both teams. You know, I, I don't think that the Raiders are ready to win the AFC West, and I don't think the Dolphins are ready to win the uh, the AFC East yet. But at the same time, you know, it, it, as long as it's built up, built up, you know, you can feel good about your team. So, yeah, man, this has been a lot of fun. I mean, a lot of fun. We're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to send Matt Williamson on vacation more often. And uh, <laughs> and then we'll uh, we'll get together. Travis, go ahead and tell everybody where they can find you, what you what you provide on a daily, and just give them the, give them the rundown before we get out of here. Yes, sir. So the Locked On Dolphins podcast, Monday through Friday, a half an hour dose of your Miami Dolphins football information, news, analysis, all that fun stuff. I'm going to be at training camp in Miami covering every single day on the podcast, as well as up on LockedOnDolphins.com, where we have content for you guys every single day there as well. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. That's awesome. That is awesome. I know you do great work. You're a great follow and and you're uh, you're a great co-host as well. You can find me, your boy Q, on Twitter at your boy Q254. I'm also a co-host on ESPN Central Texas Monday through Friday on Unnecessary Roughness, 12 to 3 Central Time. And then uh, obviously the host of the Locked On Raiders podcast on the daily news notes. Training camp's coming up. I won't be in attendance at training camp, but I'll be all over it. Cover it like a glove anyway. So uh, got a lot of stuff in store. Looking forward to the 2019 season. Football is here. Travis, this has been great. Great. Like I said, we got to do it again. And uh, thank you for your time, my man. Hey, thank you. Q. Appreciate it, man.